Uh, please stand with me as I read from God's word in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 19 to 26. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Amy. Last Sunday at another church, uh, they were having children's church where the young people gather during the service at times, and they were talking to these young children about the Last Supper and all that Jesus would suffer as he went to die on our behalf. And one of the little girls said that she was scared for Jesus. And another little girl leaned over and whispered to her, I've heard this story before. It's okay. He comes back. He rises from the dead. There's tremendous hope and comfort in the true story of the resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ, not just for little children, but for all of us today. Here at Proclamation, as is the case at many churches around the world, every Sunday is indeed a Resurrection Sunday. The reason that we gather for worship on this day of the week is because Jesus rose from the dead on the first day of the week on a Sunday. And so that's why we gather together. So the resurrection for us is a weekly celebration. If you have been here for more than one Sunday, you'll notice that the resurrection is all throughout our liturgy and our songs and our sermons and even our weekly celebration of the Lord's Supper that we will enjoy in just a few moments. Why is it such a a celebration for us? Because it's true. Because the resurrection of Jesus Christ is indeed true. Because Jesus rose from the dead, he lives and he reigns today. And this truth, this reality, changes everything. Amen. It's the most important truth about our lives. And because Jesus has indeed raised from the dead, those who trust in him have a hope that extends beyond just this present life. That's Paul's message to us. In this short passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 this morning, Paul says in verse 20, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Amen. If he hasn't, then we have no hope at all. And Christianity is not true, and there's really no reason for us to be here this morning. But Christ has been raised. And so our faith is not futile, we are not still in our sins. Anyone can be saved, and the best is yet to come. We just read a short portion of 1 Corinthians 15. If you're familiar with that passage, you will know that that entire chapter 15 is the glorious truth, God's revelation to us about the resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. It tells us of 
what is of first importance, what is most relevant to our lives. It begins with these words in verse 3. Paul says, for I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ has died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, And then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is true, and it changes everything about our lives. If you doubt the resurrection of Christ this morning, Paul will say, go talk to those who witnessed it. Go talk to the eyewitnesses. Now, I'm not going to take the whole morning to try to prove to you the resurrection, but I will briefly mention just four evidences for it, and I would encourage you to investigate it further on your own if you struggle with doubt this morning. There's nothing more important in life than whether or not Jesus literally, truly, physically rose again from the dead. So let me just give you or perhaps remind you of four simple reasons to believe it. First of all, the testimony of the scriptures, the testimony of the word of God and the Holy Spirit in our lives. The word of God and the spirit of God testify to us that this is true, that Jesus lives today. Second, the empty tomb. How do you account for a sealed tomb that's guarded by professional soldiers now being empty? Third, the eyewitness accounts. Christianity is based on historical events. You read the scriptures, and over and over again, you will find people giving testimony to events that really happened. And they'll say things like, to people in authority, these things didn't happen in a corner. They weren't hidden. You can go check them out. I know you're aware of them. It invites this investigation. So one of the ways you can investigate at the time was go talk to the eyewitnesses. That's why Paul names them Cephas the 12 disciples, more than 500 at once. That's more than twice the number of people who are here today. Imagine if they all lined up and you went and talked to them one after the other. So the eyewitness accounts. And then finally, changed lives. Paul himself, you may know, was a persecutor of the faith. He did not believe in Jesus until the resurrected Christ appeared to him. And he was transformed from a murderer to a messenger. Peter and all the male disciples fled. They were fearful during this time when Christ went to the cross and when he was buried in the tomb. But their lives were transformed when they saw the risen Christ. And they went from being afraid for their lives to laying down their lives for the sake of Christ and the gospel. Paul says in verse 19 and 20, If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied, but in fact. Christ has been raised from the dead. So because Jesus has been raised from the dead, those who trust in Jesus, we indeed have hope beyond this present life. Well, what hope do we have? Much more than I have time to tell you this morning. But I want to focus on three aspects of that hope from this passage. First, because Jesus has been raised from the dead, those who trust in him have been made alive with Christ. Look at verse 20 again. Paul says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, 
By a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. I want to take a moment to summarize the basic story of the gospel. The good news of the gospel and the the truth of the scriptures this morning. The hope that we have because Jesus has been raised. And, And this summary comes from a pastor, an evangelist in the Church of England, and he calls it the story of God, the world, and you. And he uses three numbers to walk us through it. Three, two, one. I believe I've shared it with the Proclamation family at least once before. But it starts like this, three. God is three persons united in love. From all eternity, there were three. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Not three different gods, but one God united in this unbreakable unity of three. A triunity, or we might say a trinity. And the trinity is the good news that God is love. Forever the Father has loved the Son and the joy of the Holy Spirit. And we see portraits of the trinity throughout the scriptures. One place that we see it is in the baptism of Jesus Christ. So we have God the Son being baptized, and we see the Spirit of God descending upon him, and then we hear the voice of God the Father declaring from heaven, this is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. That is a snapshot for us of God's eternal life. The Father has always been loving the Son and the joy of the Holy Spirit. And this love is too good to keep to himself. The father of love wants to share. And so he created a world through his son, by his spirit, to reveal his glory to us. And so that we and billions of others could join the family as his beloved children. You and I were meant to hear that same verdict. You are my child whom I love. With you I am well pleased. So the meaning of life is for us to find our place in the three. Now, two, the story of the world is the story of two men. God placed one man, Adam, the first created being, at the head of the world to bless it, to care for it, to act as our representative. But Adam did not trust his creator. He turned from God, he turned in on himself, and he plunged the world into death and curse. It was a cosmic fall from grace. And now we all share in his broken humanity. Paul says, in Adam, all die. And we all feel the curse of this broken world. It is easy to see today, here and all over the world. This pastor evangelist says that the human race is like a Christmas tree, one that has been cut down and wrenched from its natural habitat, and there's no life in it anymore. It's dead. We may dress ourselves up in fancy clothes, We may perform all kinds of good deeds, but the truth is we are perishing. We have no spiritual life in us, and we are headed for the bonfire. The race of Adam, all humanity, now stands under God's condemnation. God has pronounced an eternal no to that way of life, to a way of life that does not trust our Creator. He's designed something very different for us. And so God has made it possible for us all to find a New life, a second life, and a second Adam, a second representative, Jesus Christ. 
And Easter reminds us that Jesus came as a man. He entered into our broken world. He took up our lost cause. Like a champion that fights for us, Jesus stepped into our shoes and he did what we could not do. What every person has failed to do from Adam up until now. He stepped into our shoes and he lived the perfect life we could not. And then on the cross, he died the cursed death that we should die. What was Jesus doing? He was summing up for us Adam's nature and curse, and he was taking it down to the hellish death that it deserves. But Jesus did not stay in the grave. He alone had the power to rise again. Three days later, he rose again to new life beyond death and curse. And so now the risen Christ invites us into his life, into his family. Now, one, you are one with Adam. Will you be one with Jesus? The human condition is Adam's condition. We are like chips off the old block. We share in his selfishness. We all move from trusting our creator to not trusting him. We share in Adam's death. We share in his disconnection from God. One with Adam, we have no life in ourselves and we have no hope for the future. But Jesus, Jesus comes to offer us a stunning oneness with himself. We no longer have to be united to Adam in death. We can now be united to Christ in his eternal life. As he has been raised, we too can be raised. We can be made alive with Christ. We can be one with Jesus like in a marriage. This is one way the scriptures speak of it. You might imagine a marriage between a prince and a pauper. The pauper is weak and poor with a shameful name and a hopeless future. Yet the prince offers her his life. He loves her. He offers himself to her in marriage. And as soon as they are united, what happens? He takes all her debts and she gets all his riches. He covers over her shameful name and gives her his name. She's invited into his life, his family, his inheritance. Through her prince, she can now call the king father. And all because of their marriage union. This is what it's like for us and our savior, Jesus Christ. He is the prince, the groom. We, his people, we are the pauper, his bride. And if we receive him, all that is ours, our sin, our death, our curse, is placed on him. He pays it all off at the cross. And all that is his, his righteousness, his inheritance, his eternal life becomes ours. So now that if we are one with Jesus right now, beloved, we are adopted into his family. We have his spirit as our spirit. We have his father as our father. We belong to his brothers and sisters in the church and we call on the same father and we hear those words of love spoken over us just as they were spoken to Jesus. You are my child whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. These are our privileges now. And when Christ returns, we will share in his physical immortal life. He will raise us bodily just as he has been raised. He will right every wrong. He will make all things new. Amen. On that day, the true judge of all the earth 
will judge the world. He will forever confirm his no to Adam and his yes to Jesus. Every one of us, we were born one with Adam, but there's no future in that life. Thanks be to God, with arms outstretched, Jesus makes us a proposal. He offers us himself, his very life, his family, his future is yours. If you will repent and trust in him, in his life, in his death, and his resurrection, be one with Jesus. The three invite you in. The two determine the world. Will you be one with the Son of God? Paul said, in Adam all die. In Christ shall all be made alive. Every human being is born dead in sin. It's only through the resurrected Christ that we can be made alive to God. In verse 23, Paul clarifies who that all refers to who have been made alive in Christ. He says, each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Beloved, if you have trusted in Jesus, you belong to Christ. You are his and you have eternal life now. That life starts now and it lasts forever. It's a life of being known and loved by God and knowing and loving God in return. So because Jesus has been raised, you too can be made alive with Christ and have meaning and purpose and hope beyond this present life. Second, because Jesus has been raised from the dead, those who trust in him will be raised bodily with Christ. Again, verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, first fruits means that Jesus is the first of a great harvest to come. He's the first of many who will be raised from the dead. That term, first fruits, also indicates the nature and the quality of the rest of the harvest to come. So, Paul's telling us that because Christ has been raised, his resurrected body gives us a preview, a foretaste of what our resurrected bodies will be like. Amen. How many times have you heard someone say, don't get old? Many of us have heard that. And we understand the sentiment, right? It's usually from someone who is getting old, and they're starting to suffer the effects of that. The natural effects of living in this world. As you get old, your body starts to wear out. You can't see as well as you used to be able to see. You can't hear as well as you used to be able to hear. You can't move as fast as you used to be able to move. You have aches and pains you didn't used to have. You, you don't last as long. You don't have as much perseverance. We understand that sentiment. Don't get old. But you don't have to be old to appreciate the hope that this resurrected body brings for believers. Because any physical or mental ache that we have, any pain, any sickness, any suffering, we all experience those, young and old alike. And we see it in people that we love. And it's disheartening. It's discouraging. It can lead us to despair if we don't have the hope of a resurrected body. 
Paul will say that our outer selves are wasting away. But we don't look just to what we can see, what we can feel. We look at what is unseen, the hope of the resurrection. And it's that hope that confirms for us that all these aches and pains and sufferings and sorrows will be no more. We will be made new. A physical, bodily resurrection, which means there is a life to come. There's more to life than what we can just see. So we don't live for the passing pleasures of this world. What do we do? We steward our bodies as temples of the Holy Spirit, but we do not make gods or idols of them or their pleasures or pains. Why? Because Christ, in fact, has been raised. And we will be raised with him. The hope of the resurrection radically changed the way that Paul lived. It freed him from the materialism and the consumerism that characterize so many of our lives. Paul could live without the comforts and the pleasures that many people feel they must have in this life. Why? Because he knew there was more to life. He knew there's a great reward to come. So he could endure suffering in this present life knowing it was not in vain and knowing it would not last. And he could, re- he could forego the rewards and the comforts and pleasures of this life because he knew they were temporary. And Paul said, if I'm going to live for rewards, I'm going to live for the ones that are true, the ones that will last forever, the better rewards. And this is the way that Jesus said that the hope and reality of the resurrection is designed to change our lives, our behavior, what we live for, what we do on a day-by-day basis, not just one Sunday a year, but every day of our lives. This is why, for example, this is why Jesus told those who followed him, invite people into your homes who cannot invite you back, who can't repay the favor. Why? Because you will be rewarded at the resurrection of the just. He's saying there's another life to come, and that's the one you live for. So, beloved, what an opportunity we have today, and truly every Sunday, every resurrection day, to examine our lives and to ask ourselves honestly, are we shaped by the hope of the resurrection? Do we make our decisions based on gain in this world or gain in the next? Where is our hope? Where is our focus? What are you living for? Because Jesus has been raised from the dead, all who trust in him will be raised bodily with Christ and rewarded with Christ. So let us again today set our hope on the resurrection to come and live for things that will last forever. And then finally, third, because Jesus has been raised from the dead, Christ, our King, will reign over every person and every power, and we, beloved, will reign with him in his eternal kingdom. We can ask the question, how far does the reign of the resurrected Christ extend? And the text gives us the answer, verse 25. He, Christ, must reign 
until he has put all his enemies under his feet. So the word all tells us the extent of his reign, as does the word every in verse 24. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. Beloved, there is such hope for us and the reign of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Our battle today is not against flesh and blood. It's not against other people. It is against the spiritual forces of wickedness. It's against our own sin. And in this battle, we do not fight alone. We'd have no hope if it was up to us. But in this battle, we do not fight alone, nor do we win by the strength of our own will. Beloved, Jesus fights for you. Jesus, the one who conquered the grave, who defeated sin and death and the devil, he fights for you. What is there left for us to fear? Who is going to defeat Jesus? No one and nothing. So Pastor John Piper says, there is no disease, no addiction, no demon, no bad habit, no fault, no vice, no weakness, no temper, no moodiness, no pride, no self-pity, no strife, no jealousy, no perversion, no greed, no laziness, no sin that Christ will not overcome as the enemy of his honor. He wins and he reigns. And you, his people, win and reign with him. So Jesus Christ now, right now in this age, he is putting all his enemies under his feet. And thanks be to God that he does that. He's put us under his feet. He has, he has subdued us to himself. We were his enemies, but he's made us his friends. Thanks be to God, we've experienced that in our own lives. Every rule, every authority, every power will be conquered. So, beloved, remember, as Pastor Piper explains, the extent of Christ's reign reaches to the smallest and the biggest. Both the smallest and the biggest enemy of his glory in your life and in this universe, it will be defeated. Verse 26 tells us the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Pastor Tim Keller is a familiar name to many of you who are Presbyterian. He planted Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City, and he has written a lot on the resurrection of Christ. He's written a lot on suffering. If you are facing death or suffering at this time, I would encourage you to read one of his books. It would be a comfort to you, but Two years ago, he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, and he's still alive, which is very unusual when you get that diagnosis. But he's been thinking a lot about death in the last two years, and he has written this. He says, since the resurrection of Jesus Christ really happened, then ultimately, God is going to put everything right. Essentially, he is saying, because the resurrection is true, for God's people, everything is going to be okay. Suffering is going to go away. Evil, all the evil that we see in the world, from our own hearts to around the world, is going to go away. Death is going to go away. 
Because Jesus, in his resurrection, he has already dealt the death blow to death. He's already won the victory. So as John Calvin says, the sword of death, which could penetrate into our very hearts, has been blunted. It wounds nevertheless still, but without any danger. For we die, but by dying we enter into life. The Westminster Larger Catechism asked that question. You know, we know the wages of sin is death. So the question comes up, well, if we have been saved from our sin by Christ, then why do we still die? And the answer tells us that we are indeed delivered from death, and we will be delivered from it. But now, God's people die. Why? Not as punishment for sin, but actually because God loves us. Because Jesus wants us to be with him where he is to see his glory. Because Jesus has been raised from the dead. We have hope beyond this life. And Jesus knows that the death of those who belong to him is not the end. It's not a punishment anymore, but it is simply the beginning. It is the entryway into glory. By death, we are freed perfectly from all sin and misery. And we are enabled to enter into this perfect communion with Christ that we then will enjoy in glory. Beloved, because Jesus came back from the dead, don't be scared. Fear not. We've heard this story before. He comes back. And because he rose again, we too will rise. And so we have hope beyond this present day. Whatever you are facing today, the discouragements, the despairs, the sins, the struggles, the sorrows. They will not last for the believer. They won't be in vain for the believer. It's not all there is. There is a great hope for those who trust in Christ. So may we not live for this life only. May we not live for the things that will be destroyed. May we not set our hearts on them but may we live for the glory of the one who died and was raised. May we live for the glory of the one who reigns over all. Beloved, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Amen? Amen. I want to ask you, what comfort does that bring you today? I would encourage you to think about that. Think about what comfort the resurrection of Christ brings you today. And then I would encourage you to think, is there someone in my life who would be encouraged by that truth? Don't keep that good news to yourself. Like that little girl who leaned over and whispered to her friend, it's okay. I've heard this story before. He comes back. We need to share the hope and comfort of the resurrection with people in our lives. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. So think not only of the comfort, but also the call. How is God calling you to respond to the truth of the resurrection today? How is he calling you to walk in the newness of life that you have only because Jesus died and rose again on your behalf? And perhaps there's someone you could talk to about that as well. Someone who can encourage you in your pursuit of obedience and holiness. Because we're not designed to live this resurrected life on our own. 
Yes, we have the power of the resurrected Holy Spirit within us, but he's put us in a family, a family of believers who are to encourage one another as we wait and long for that day to come. So let's share the comfort and the call of the resurrected Christ with one another on this day of all days. You know, that little girl in children's church shared the comfort and hope of the resurrection of Jesus with her classmate. We want to do the same. So may we all remember and celebrate and proclaim the comfort and the hope today, for we do indeed have hope beyond this present life, all because Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Amen.